Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for today's Safety and Health webcast. Want to let you know as you file in, you are in the right place. Just going to allow a little more time, about another 30 or 40 seconds before we get things going. Hello again to everyone. We thank you for joining us, letting you know we're just allowing a little bit more time for attendees to file in. We'll be getting today's Intellects webinar underway in a few more seconds. Well, hi everyone and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, Changing Culture with Data, sponsored by Intellex. My name is Kevin Drulli. I'm an associate editor with Safety and Health Magazine and will be moderating today's session. Thanks for joining us. We hope you all are safe and well. In a few minutes, we'll start the presentation, but first let's review some preliminary items. The views of today's speakers and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the counselor magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we'll conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply click the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, type your question, and click the send button. Feel free to ask your question at any time during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the question and answer session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of participants today, we might not get to every question. Any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to today's speaker. At the end of the webcast, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey. I will let you know more about that after the presentation. For your reference, a copy of the presentation slides will be made available. This webcast is archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com events. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Our speaker today is Angelo Sinfraco, a certified safety professional and a health and safety product owner at Intellex. Angelo brings a decade of experience in the EHS field, including roles as a consultant, senior EHS manager, corporate EHS data analyst, and most recently, as a process improvement leader with Predictive Solutions Intellex. His chief interest is in helping EHS professionals enhance data collection processes to find the best way to improve incident prevention and safety culture as well as eliminate on-the-job deaths by 2050. Angelo, we thank you for being with us today. Whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. All right, excellent. You guys can hear me okay? Just to confirm. We'll take silence as a yes. Hearing you go here. Um, okay, awesome. So uh, thank you all for joining. I'm, I'm really excited to be here today. Um, this is a topic that is I'm really passionate about that is near and dear to my heart. Um, and I really believe data to change culture is going to play a huge role in the next evolution of the EHS profession. Um, as a lot of you know, over the last 10 years, there's been a huge focus on acquiring uh, technology to help facilitate EHS programs. And the focus on acquiring the new technology has definitely helped improve EHS processes and has improved uh, some of our outcomes as well. However, in my experience, you know, I haven't always seen the adoption of technology translate into an adoption of data. 
Right. Um, some companies, some clients that we work with tend to confuse technology advances for data advances. And while these sound similar, there are big differences between the two. And I think one of the reasons why you don't see this transition or this adoption of technology and data simultaneously is because data can be a very intimidating topic, right? But it doesn't need to be, right? So today, what we're gonna do is talk about simple steps you can take uh, to utilize uh, your EHS technology as more than a repository, right? So you can utilize it as a tool for facilitating your safety culture, and you can facilitate that safety culture through the adoption of a data focus. Right. So at the end of the day, I truly believe that um, a focus on data drives safety. And I've seen it happen with clients. A focus on data helps you get better information. It helps you get better engagement. Right? It helps you communicate more effectively. And it helps you uh, put in place better, more effective corrective actions. Right? And all of these things help propel our safety culture beyond the plateau into that next level. All right, so with that, uh, to go over the agenda today. All right, and I'm actually gonna turn my webcam off just to save us uh, some bandwidth. So, and I'll spare you looking at my ugly mug the whole time. Okay, so first we're gonna talk about what is data, all right? Next, we're gonna talk about how can, what can we do to collect better data? The third thing we're gonna talk about is what are the easy ways to test our data quality and data accuracy? The fourth thing we're gonna talk about is communicating data insights. And last, we're gonna wrap up with data as a culture change agent, right? So we're gonna wrap up, how do the four things that we talked about in the beginning fit into the culture change and how does it become a culture change agent? All right, so before I get started on my slides, we actually had a poll that we were gonna bring up. So if we could bring that poll up, that would be great. Okay, so if you can see this poll, uh, please uh, you know, toggle your vote here. Uh, the question is, what is the biggest challenge we face when attempting to use our, our data effectively? Is it collecting complete and accurate data? Is it the technology to facilitate a data focus? Is it personal uh, personnel with expertise in data analysis? Is it communicating data? Or is it none of these? Do you feel like you have a handle on, on data uh, in your current processes. So we'll give a minute or two to allow some answers. Okay. Awesome. So I believe you guys can see these results on the screen. Um, but the, the far and away winner there was collecting complete and accurate data, right? 54% of you said collecting complete and accurate data. Uh, the next two closest were the technology to facilitate data focus and communicating data. So I think today's webinar is going to shed a lot of uh, some really good light around collecting complete and accurate data. And the communication that we can put in place to communicate our data more effectively. So, so this is great. All right, thank you for the input and we will uh, continue with the presentation here.
Okay, so what is data, right? Let's start at the beginning. And so if you ask 10 people what data is, you're probably gonna get 10 different answers, right? And similar to the EHS industry, it's a topic that is marred in acronyms and insider lingo, right? So, you know, I've worked for a Fortune 500 company where we actually had like a, a manual of acronyms that were used, right? And it gets, it gets crazy. Data can be the same thing, right? So when you think of data, you'll hear people say, well, you need a data scientist. Well, you need data analytics. Well, you need machine learning. Well, you need databases. You need string and text. You need quantitative analysis. You need et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And this can be very frustrating, obviously, and it can be very intimidating. And it can leave you like George Costanza's dad in Seinfeld screaming serenity now at the top of your lungs, which is maybe one of the best Seinfeld episodes of all time. All right, so one of the major misconceptions around data, I think, is that you need to be a data scientist or a data analyst in order to understand and use data. But you don't have to be a winemaker to be a wine connoisseur, right? And similarly, you don't have to be a data scientist to understand and use data. Right now it could help, right? But it's not a prerequisite. Um, and I would even say in some cases, in my experience working with customers and working in industry, having that SME background is invaluable, right? Having that SME uh, EHS input helps build more context around the insights that you're trying to create, more context around the information that you're trying to gather right, and more context around the ultimate goal of this data collection, data focus. Okay, so let's start with a, with a definition here. So data is information used as a basis for reasoning, discussion, or calculation. All right, this is the Webster definition. All right, now there's two things that stick out to me, right, and they're both highlighted here, is information and discussion. Right. Information is obvious. Right. Um, we obviously associate data with information. The less obvious thing, but equally as important is the discussion piece. Right. In order to have uh, data and use data effectively, we both need to collect the information, but we also need a process for the discussion around that information. OK. So for the sake of, you know, sticking with the primary objective of this webinar, right? Let's simplify it even more. So data is information and it's communication, right? It's information that's communicated. All right, now information being communicated is not enough in and of itself, okay? Um, information being communication communicated without parameters can be the difference between a $5 bottle of wine, right? And a $200 bottle of wine. And I think this is a really good analogy for EHS data because on the surface, the two look the same, right? It's not until you uncork the bottle, you know, uh, pour some, sniff it, taste it, you know, whatever wine connoisseurs do, um, but that you figure out the difference between the two, right? And I think EHS data is very similar. We have technologies. Everyone has a collection uh, arm, right? Where you're collecting information. Everyone has some reports, everyone has some dashboards, right? But upon further investigation, you can really tell if it's a $5 data collection process or a $200 data collection process, right? For lack of a better term. Right. So how do we get from the $5 to the $200 bottle of wine? How do we improve our EHS data process in order to act as a culture change agent, right? And really uh, improve uh, our EHS programs. 
Well, the first thing is we need information, right? And the parameters around the information are important. So I obviously need to collect information, but we need that information to be relevant. We need it to be accurate. We need it to be standardized and we need it to be high quality. On the communication side of the definition, we want the communication to be at point of use. We want it to be timely. We want it to be understandable, right? And we want it to be distributed. And it's important that we think about these things in a continuous loop, right? So, you know, the PDCA cycle, the same idea. We're not just communicating information once and, uh, or sorry, collecting information once and communicating it once, right? This is an iterative process where we're going to get feedback from the field, maybe change our approach, communicate, and, and go through that iteration. Now, having these parameters around your uh, EHS data processes is going to take you from the $5 to the $200 uh, data collection process. Okay, so we know what data is, right? But how can data help EHS professionals, right? Now, is the juice, juice worth the squeeze, so to speak, okay? Uh, and many of us are on here are probably familiar with the Sydney Decker uh, thin edge of the wedge diagram or example. And I actually think that's a really powerful example for what we're talking about here and how data can help. Right, so on one, on the blunt end of the wedge, you have management and work as imagined, right? So the management team has an idea of what kind of goes on in the work environment, but they're not actually out in the field doing the work, so it's more imagined how things get done. Then you have the front line, right? And they understand how work is completed, okay? So you have perceived work and you have real work, right? Now, often the communication between the perceived and the real is where we have a breakdown in safety culture and we have a breakdown in our EHS programs. Okay, and this is where I think data can play a huge role, all right? And this is where I think data can help improve our safety cultures, right? Because if we're collecting good information, if we're communicating that information in a way that's understandable at point of use, right? We can bring the perceived work and the real work closer together and data can act as that glue that binds those two things together. And with that, we're improving our safety culture because we're moving together as one unit. We all understand uh, where the pain points are, right? And we can leverage that data to move forward. All right, so we know what data is. We know how it can help EHS professionals. Now let's talk about data collection. This is our first stop on the way to making uh, data an effective culture change agent. All right, so to have data, we must first collect it, right? Uh, simple enough. But this tends to be the first and most prominent barrier for teams looking to get more of a data focus. Right? And so what are the causes uh, to the data collection barrier? You know, in the survey that we took, 54% of people struggle with, with this uh, as their main barrier to using data. So it is a, you're not alone, right? This is a, a big pain point. And actually we conducted another poll earlier, uh, sorry, late last year, where we asked what is the biggest barrier to collecting accurate EHS data? So a little bit of a different question, right? But the answer was 39% of respondents said cultural barriers to data entry were uh, the biggest barriers to collecting accurate EHS data, right? And training was relatively close behind. Okay, so how do we overcome these barriers to data collection? 
So I believe there's three keys to overcoming the data collection barriers. All right. And this is information and keys that we've gathered from working with customers right, over time as they kind of move down this data-driven safety culture path. So the first one is establishing a mission and vision. All right. The second one is knowing the roles. And the third key here is time is of the essence. Okay, and we're gonna go into all these in greater detail coming up here. All right, so establishing a mission and vision. Okay, this is the first step, like I said, first key to better data collection. Right? And in EHS and in business more broadly, we often talk about mission statements and vision statements for the larger company. Right? But a lot of times we don't use those, we don't create mission and vision statements for individual initiatives, right? In this case, better data collection, a more data-driven process. But mission and vision statements are useful for many reasons, but chief among them is that they help to identify the what and the why for the initiative, right? So a mission statement definition is, it defines a company's, in this case, initiative, its objectives and its approach to reach those objectives. Okay, so the what and why are we doing this? And the vision describes the desired future position for the company, right? So if we do this, we will end up here, right? We will have a better safety culture. We will have better safety outcomes, et cetera, et cetera. Right, so the mission and vision statement together are a North Star for the company. And if you apply it to an initiative, a North Star for an initiative. Okay. And so when employees hear that we are going to implement our focus on data collection, right, uh, in the work environment, there can be some severe misunderstandings that drive the initiative to failure. And I think this is, this is a problem that a lot of companies face, is when we don't establish that mission and vision, people will make up their own mission and vision, right? And we can understand this if we had a data collection approach targeted at our own work. Right. So if someone came to you in the company and said, hey, you know, we're going to start taking a deeper dive into kind of the work process, the processes that you're you're involved with. You know, if things go wrong. We kind of want to know about it. We want to we might have people out here to do some inspections, et cetera, et cetera. Right. You're going to look at that and say, wow, this sounds like a fault finding exercise. I might be in trouble here. Right. Um, now, without any further information, that that might be the perception that you take. And you're not going to be very engaged if, if that's the case, right? So if we don't establish a mission and vision, others will, okay? And the perception might be negative and it might be detrimental, right? So we want to own, you know, the, the narrative, if you want to call it that, and, and let people know this is why we're doing this, right? It's not a fault-finding exercise. It's a fact-finding exercise. Okay, know the roles. This is the second key here. Right? We can't expect everyone to collect everything. Right? Managers, supervisors, employees, they have a lot on their plate, right? And we shouldn't expect them to collect everything. Right? We need to carefully define roles uh, and focus so as to not overwhelm teams. Okay, for data collection initiatives to be successful, we need to do a better job of defining roles and helping individuals understand their roles uh, in this initiative. Okay. So for example, the role of an executive in a data collection effort is gonna be much different than the role of a frontline employee. 
right? An executive role might be more of a sponsor, right? They're going to promote the initiative, but they might not be as collecting as much data, right, on the, on the day-to-day. A supervisor role, they're going to organize time for his or her team to collect data, right? But they might not collect as much data as the frontline user, right? And then the frontline employee, their role might be strictly to report, inf- uh, you know, hazards in the work environment, work conditions that, that need to be addressed. Um, and their primary responsibility in the initiative is to collect the information. Okay. Without the proper role assignments in the initiative, individuals feel overwhelmed, right? And that feeling of being overwhelmed can cause paralysis, right? And the data collection um, initiative kind of gets stopped in its tracks. Right. So when we're going to go to a more data uh, focused approach and we're going to focus on collecting better uh, data out in the field, we need to make sure we define the roles for people so they don't get this feeling of being overwhelmed. They understand what they what their role is in the initiative. Right. And we can move forward as a cohesive group with everyone's roles defined. The time is of the essence key. So this is the third and final key to overcoming some of those barriers to data collection. Um, this is from a Chinese philosopher that time is a created thing to say, I don't have time is to say, I don't want to, right? When we don't allow time for data collection out in the field, right? We're basically saying this is not a priority, right? And we all understand that, you know, operations is vital. We can't, you know, collect EHS data for four hours, three hours, six hours of the day, right? If we don't handle operations, Right? There is no need for EHS data because there is no workplace. Right? But giving the impression that there's no time for EHS data collection, right? the employees and frontline supervisors right, and managers perceive it as, well, this is an important, right? this is a flavor of the month type thing. Right? And so allocating time for data collection creates a, I call it data, data culture, right? where we are... Uh, communicating that we are focused on getting these insights and having those insights drive our decision-making, right? And when we allow employees time for data collection, they feel that their insights matter and they feel that their insights are critical to the success of the EHS program. So how do we allot this time, right? Just as, as a couple examples, right? So when company, we, we talk about this with, with clients and companies, you know, they say, well, that, that sounds great, but how do we actually allocate this time that you're talking about? Well, a good place to start is attempting to allocate time for data collection in pre-existing safety-related time slots, right? So, you know, whether construction or manufacturing, right, it might differ when your safety time slots are. But you're going to have toolbox talks, you're going to have pre-shift meetings, you're going to have maybe post-shift debriefs, you're going to have safety committees, right? And in a lot of these time slots, we have kind of predetermined things that we're going to do, right? We're going to talk about the shift coming up or the shift that just happened, right? Uh, if it's a toolbox talk, sometimes people use it for more of a, a informal training time. We can change the routine in these time slots to allow for more data collection, right? So for a lot to allow time for employees to lead some observations or lead some hazard IDs or lead some inspections, right? Um, so this is a great starting point where you're not actually really having to carve out any additional time, 
right? But at least you're getting some predetermined time that you're kind of using in a different way in order to allow some time for data collection, right? Okay, so we talked about what data is, we talked about collecting data, right? And the keys to collecting better data. So once we've addressed the data collection keys, right, to collect better data, we wanna turn our attention to data accuracy, to kind of better leverage the data that we've collected to become a more proactive culture change agent. So what is data accuracy? Right. Well, data accuracy is actually a component of data quality. I've, I've moved it out of that realm for now because I think there's some uh, separate considerations to, to, to take when you're talking about EHS data. But data accuracy is the degree to which data gathered represents reality, right? And without data accuracy, the collected information cannot be relied on, right? So what we're saying is really, no matter how much data you gather, right? If the data is not representing reality out in the field uh, and it's not precise, then we're not going to actually be able to use that to improve our safety culture, right? And improve our EHS processes because we're not getting an accurate representation of what's going on out in the field. All right, so a good analogy for this, I think, is archery. Right. So, you know, if you're in an archery competition, which I've never been, so I, I hope this is a good analogy. Um, you know, if you have, let's say you have five arrows, right, and your competitor has 25 arrows. Well, just because they have 25 and you have five doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to win. Right. If the, if the objective is to hit the target and to be accurate. Right. If you take your time with the five and you're more detailed, you collect better information around what you need to do to hit that target in the middle, in the in the bullseye, you you might win, even though you have, you know, uh, a fifth of the, the uh, arrows that the, the person with 25 has. Right. So when we look back on information that is collected, we need to be able to rely on the fact that the information accurately depicts the real world. Right. And again, I think this is something that um, in the poll question it alluded to, we alluded to as being uh, difficult for, for quite a few, a few of us. But having data that accurately depicts the real world um, helps lead to better outcomes, right? Better actions, better corrective actions. Okay. That's all good. But how do we actually improve data accuracy? Right, so the first thing we're gonna talk about is setting up for success. The second thing we're gonna talk about is tr uh, training uh, the data collectors. And the third thing we're gonna talk about is the right tech, right? So I think these are some three keys that we see working with customers that really make for uh, improving data accuracy. Okay, so setting up for success, right? What does this actually mean? It's a little bit of an ambiguous uh, statement. So we need to understand where our company is in their safety journey to collect more accurate information. Okay, often, and, and I've I had this uh, experience working as an uh, administrator for an EHS software uh, in a prior career. Often when we work 
with customers, right, who are thinking of implementing some EHS technology, you know, they want to go from zero to 100, right? So they want to collect more data than they're currently collecting in, in their current processes. So for example, you know, if they have maybe like an injury reporting form, maybe a couple inspections and, you know, permit to work, you know, th that they're collecting information on, it's tempting to say, well, it's going to be much easier to collect this information in a new technology. Um, so therefore, you know, let's add five or six more apps onto this. And let's also double the amount of information that we're collecting in each of our uh, current, you know, forms and current programs. Now, in past experience, right, this is how you can end up with forms or inspections with, you know, 200 fields on them, 200 questions, right? And this can be a mistake. And why is that? Um, because when we surpass kind of the current capabilities of the EHS program, right, when we implement these new technologies, uh, it can lead to some confusion. It can lead to some people feeling overwhelmed. It can, and it can lead to disengagement, right? So that's not to say that improvement is, isn't the goal, right? Improvement is always the goal. Um, but if we're going to use data as a cultural change agent, we need to understand uh, where we are in our EHS journey, right? And uh, we need to kind of build a foundation upon, upon where we are, right? So when we extend uh, the data collection efforts beyond our current capabilities, we force employees to learn a new system and a new program, right? And, you know, how to collect information for new fields that they haven't seen before, right? And that tends to lead to inaccurate data because people are overwhelmed by the change. Right? So for positive change, to use data as a positive cultural change agent, we need to understand where we are Right, and we need to meet ourselves and our people where we currently are, right? And then we can build upon that foundation. Okay, the third uh, key here is training data collectors, right? Training data collectors is pivotal, okay? And EHS data is primarily collected by people, okay? Um, so for there to be solid data accuracy, the data collectors, right? The people need to understand the what, how, and why to collect the information. So training should go beyond pushing the buttons, right? And the training should provide the why. Why are we doing this? Why is this important? How is this going to help me as an employee, right? So another example, right? We've all facilitated uh, EHS, training, right? Whether it be annual compliance training or new employee hires, right? And during or after those trainings, you know, there's some where you go through and you go, wow, that went great, right? Like I, people were engaged, people were wide-eyed in there. I got good feedback, right? And then there's some where you go, wow, there's a lot of blank stares, right? So, so hopefully not what's happening on the other end of this line right now. Um, but I guess time will tell. Uh, so when, I would argue the reason for those two different outcomes is because in one, you're providing the why, and in one, you're simply talking about the regulations, right? And, and it's not hitting home for people, right? So if I go through a training and I'm talking about confined space, fall protection, you know, housekeeping, and I'm really saying, hey, this is what 
this topic is about. Here's why it's important to you. Here's why we need your help with this. Here's how this is going to help you. People are going to be much more engaged, right? And much more likely to, to collect uh, detailed information. Now, if I go through a training and just say, this is confined space, this is fall protection, here are the regulations, people are going to keel over, right? And so providing that why is really, really important, obviously, in our usual EHS training, but also when we're going to go to a more data-focused uh, safety culture, right? Uh, because we need to provide the why as to why we should take our time to collect detailed information, why we should take time to collect accurate information, and how that's actually going to help you, right? So why data will help and why your input is vital. And when we provide the why, we're moving the training from a simple like check the box kind of scenario, right, in the minds of the employees. And we're bringing it to the real world where people can start to see how their feedback can benefit themselves and the people around them, right, and improve safety in the work environment. Uh, this slide always gives me problems, but. Uh, Bear with me for a second here. Okay, so the right tech, right? This is the third and final key to, to data accuracy. Right? If we want accurate data uh, that reflects the real world, we need to have the right technology, right? As we mentioned before, right? Teams have a lot on their plates, obviously. And as the difficulty to participate increases, right? the accuracy and quantity of information gathered decreases. So the right technology can help lower the barrier to participation and make it easier for people to collect more standardized and more detailed information in a more timely manner. So we want to make sure that data that you are asking people to collect can be collected at point of use. That's one of the biggest things, right? Because let's take an example, right? What's gonna, what do you think is going to be more accurate? Let's say there's a safe uh, hazard observation, right? That that's made, and in the first scenario, someone sees something that's unsafe, right? And um, they have to wait maybe until the end of their shift until they get a break to kind of go get a, a hazard ID card, right? They got to go get a pencil, they got to write that down, they got to find the supervisor, or they have to go to, you know, the the suggestion box and and drop it in uh, to get the wheel started on, on getting this uh, unsafe condition fixed. Or is it gonna be more accurate when something is seen by an employee who can take out a mobile device, right? Snap a picture, write a few details down, right? And then electronically start a workflow to their supervisor, right? To get the wheel started on getting this unsafe uh, condition um, fixed. Now, not always, but mostly, I would say the more convenient scenario is gonna be the one that allows uh, for more accurate data gathering. And why? Because there's less barrier to participation and it's easier for people to provide detailed information. And so one of my favorite you know, sayings when I used to work as an EHS manager was convenience is king, right? <clears throat> Out in, in, on the plant floor or on a construction site or you know, wherever you are, if things are convenient, they're going to get done, right? If things are not convenient, it's gonna be much more difficult to get that engagement and to get accurate data into uh, our EHS technologies. Okay. 
So we want to lower the barrier, make it available at point of use, and that's going to help us get more accurate data. Okay, so we talked about collecting data. We talked about data accuracy. So now let's talk about data quality, right? So once we've improved our collection processes, we're collecting better data, right? Then we're going to work on our data accuracy, right? Once we have better data accuracy, uh, we're going to work on our data quality, right? To better leverage data as a cultural change agent. Okay, so um, in 2017, the Harvard Business Review uh, article titled uh, Only 3% of Companies Data Meets Basic Quality Standards, right? Which is shocking, right? And in that article, they stated that 47%, almost half, of newly created data records have at least one critical error, right? And critical error renders it. Uh, almost useless, right? So you're not alone, right? If you're, if you're suffering, you know, data quality problems, data accuracy problems, right? You're not alone, right? It's okay. There's, there's, time, there's time to make up. So what is data quality, right? So data quality is data that is fit for use, right? So basically data information that is ready to be used and utilized to gather insights. Okay, so there's five major components of, of data quality, right? There's completeness, there's conformity, there's consistency, there's timeliness, and there's accuracy, which we already went over right, in, in previous slides. Now, I'm not gonna go through the definitions of each one of these, because again, I don't, it's not worth overcomplicating the situation, but you know, at least looking at those words, you can kind of tell, okay, we want it to be accurate. We want it to accurately represent what's happening out in the field. Completeness, we want the records to be complete. Timeliness, we want the information to be timely, right? We want it to be consistent and we want it to be uh, there to be conformity. Right? So why is data quality important? All right, so now that we know, you know, generally what data quality is, why, why is this important? Well, data quality is really the foundation upon which all the insights and all the analytics is built and formulated. Right? Not to not to uh, oversell it, but but I truly believe that. Right? So at the top of the you know the chain, you have data insights. Right? That's what the end users are seeing. You know, that's what typically brings the most value. You have data collection. Right? You have data accuracy you have data quality at the bottom of the, the chain there. All right now, the value to the end user, right? And the value that we see every day when we're moving to a more data-focused safety culture is at the top level, right? It's at the insights. But the fundamentality, if that's a word, it didn't get to, you know spell checked in my PowerPoint, so bear with me. The fundamentality of, uh, in this hierarchy, it, it revolves completely around data quality, right? So it's a little bit of a catch-22, right? It often gets overlooked because there's no immediate uh, value to the end user. It's more of a hidden value, right? People don't wanna see how the sausage is made and, and diving through data to understand the quality of the data is, is not a fun task, right? 
but um, you know, it's much easier for companies to focus on the insights rather than the data quality. However, working with clients and, and working as an administrator, right, um, it's a fatal flaw to, to uh, overlook data quality, right? Because what tends to happen is even if you have the most well thought out dashboards and reports, right, and communication, if the data quality isn't there, then the information is not nearly as potent as it could be. And it makes it very difficult to uh, use the data as a culture change agent when the data is not as potent as it could be, right? And that's where data quality comes into play, right? So poor data quality erodes, right? So you know the house looks great on top, you've got great communication, great dashboards, but the information that's in there is not uh, potent enough or stable enough for you to actually make those data-driven decisions. All right, so what are the three common uh, pitfalls to, to data quality? You have field dilution, you have nondescript entry, you have hierarchy alignment. Those are the three common pitfalls. All right, so field dilution, right? Um, this kind of goes back to the setup for success that we talked about earlier in data accuracy, right? Often when companies implement an EHS software, during the implementation, they want to collect everything, right? Because collection is going to be easier, so let's get really thorough. Well, EHS technologies are good because they do lower the barrier to data entry, but it can be bad because it can lead to over-collection of data, right, and a dilution of the pertinent information, right? So from the management side, right, having 200 questions on the inspection or having 100 question or, uh, questions on, on the injury form, right, is thorough. But from the employee side, it's very easy to get uh, confused as to what is the pertinent information here. Right. And so what ends up happening is everyone kind of makes their own determination as to what is the critical information, right? And you end up with a dilution problem. So how do you know if you have a dilution problem? If you have a lot of consistently blank or missing uh, fields of information, then you might have a dilution problem, right? And some things you can do to, to uh, manage this problem is you can set fields as being required right? You can prioritize the organization of the form so that the more critical information is at the top, right? You can also take the time to actually go through, do a quality check and say, okay, these fields are empty X percentage of the time, not worth collecting this information, you know, let's get rid of it, right? So there's a few things that you can do, but data uh, field dilution is a huge problem. So nondescript entry is the second pitfall, right? And this is kind of the cousin of field dilution. Right, so again, companies implement a software or technology, right? They wanna give the employees as much uh, information uh, availability as possible, right? And in information systems now, right? You can use text fields, you can use multi-select fields, you can have drop-down, you can have numeric fields, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of ways to enter information into the system. But Many times when, when you have this nondescript entry problem, what you start to see is a lot of others, a lot of NAs, a lot of not listed, right? So when we're talking about the field dilution pitfall, we're talking about blanks, right? And that is decreasing the breadth of data that you can use for making decisions, right? In this uh, situation with the nondescript, you're actually reducing the depth of the information, right? Because all the fields are getting filled out, but maybe they're getting filled out with other NA not listed. Well, what kind of analysis can we do there? How deep can we dive down, 
right? So, so we need to be conscious of, of this pitfall as well. So how do we identify if we have a nondescript problem? So if the fields are other NA not listed, like I said above, um, and these options are consistent, you know, we might have a nondescript data quality problem. Now, what can you do? You can look at fields around these, these fields that commonly have nondescript problems, and you can say, okay, well, the fields around this are describing a forklift incident, right? So, okay, well, we, we should add forklift to our dropdown field here so that people can stop putting other and they can put forklift, right? It could also be a training problem, right? If people don't understand what fields are critical, right? They might be kind of just passing these by NA, NA, not giving good information here in order to get to, to other fields. So it could be a training problem as well. But those are a couple of things you can do. So the last thing here is uh, a common pitfall is the hierarchy alignment problem, right? Um, so it's important to add locations, departments, projects, uh, inspection checklists, et cetera, to, to your uh, technology, but as the breadth of the data collection increases, you can have this hierarchy alignment uh, data pitfall reared to it, right? So what is an example of this? So if, you, if you're collecting fall protection information, right, and you're collecting it across five different checklists uh, or inspections or observations forms, um, what can happen is if, if you don't have a way of aggregating these into a single hierarchy, Right? When you go and look at one checklist, you think you're looking at all the fall protection uh, uh, observations that were made. Really, you're only looking at maybe one fifth of it because there's other checklists that have this information that we're not seeing. And this is the same for locations too. We wanna make sure that our location structure filters up and down, right? So that if we look in the West region for fall protection uh, observations or inspections, we are confident that we're seeing all of the inspections for fall protection in the West region. And we know that because we have a good hierarchy alignment, right? So how do you know if you have a hierarchy alignment problem, right? Um, if you're collecting the same information across multiple checklists, multiple inspections, multiple forms, right? And those aren't necessarily rolling up to a larger hierarchy, a larger bucket for fall protection, a larger bucket for a location, you might have a hierarchy alignment problem. Right. And that's going to result in some siloed uh, feedback and maybe some false impressions as to what's actually going on in the field. Okay, so the last section here is for data insights, and then we'll get to the culture. Right, so now that we have good data collection, we have data accuracy, we have data quality, now we're going to move to the other half of the data definition and move into the communication side, right? We were in information, we're going to move to communication. And that means communicating data insights. So if you spend any time in analytics, you've probably heard the phrase data uh, speaks for itself, right? The data will speak for itself. All right, this sounds good and catchy, but it's often a mantra that leaves us with a lot of confused people trying to understand what good is, right? So like anything else, when we're the people in the weeds of a topic, it's very easy to assume that everyone else kind of understands this topic as well, right? So think about DART rates, think about TRIR, right? If we're farming these out to the field, well, do they understand what these actually, how these calculations are put together or are, are we in the weeds and we can't see the forest through the trees, right? So when we communicate, we wanna keep the end user's perspective in mind, right? So how do we do this? Well, we have to speak for the data, right? 
And we have to speak to the data with a well-thought-out communication plan. Right. So what elements are in a well thought out communication plan? Well, better data visualizations right, is one and the right data for the right people is the other. Right. So visualizations play a huge role because you can turn analytics into consumable insights. But without getting that information to the right people at the right time, right, we're not going to be able to leverage that to drive our safety culture. All right, so what are the three keys to better data visualization? All right, so the first thing I wanted to bring up was this book by uh, Alberto Cairo. It's called The Truthful Art. It's pretty interesting. Um, and he goes through kind of tips to, to creating better data visualizations, whether that be dashboards or reports, right, or graphics. Now, we've all put together uh, data, you know, PowerPoints with slides and graphics and, and dashboards, et cetera. But to get a deeper uh, communication to the field on, on these metrics, we need to really pay attention to the content and the structure, right? So that we tell the story that we want to tell. All right, so the first thing is we wanna make sure the data is truthful that's included in the visualizations, right? So we wanna pick metrics that provide an honest overview of the current state of things, right? So a lot of times, and, and I struggled a lot with this in my early career, was focusing only on the outputs, right? The rates, the recordables, right? And little in, uh, uh, focus on the inputs. But the inputs can be just as, if not more important, right? Because that's kind of steering where those outputs are going, right? So we want to be truthful with our, with our data insights. We want the data to be functional, right? So we don't want to create tools that are beyond the comprehension of the end user. Okay, so when you're creating a visualization dashboard or report, make sure you're taking the end user's perspective in mind and make sure you're going from simple, right, to more complex. And so an executive might be used to seeing dashboards, reports, right? So you might be able to put together something that's more complex, whereas a frontline employee, they're gonna maybe need something more straightforward. They want the hard facts and they want it quick and they're out in the field, right? The last thing is data uh, is insightful, right? So we wanna pick metrics that drive decision-making, right? So we don't just wanna put graphics and numbers on a dashboard in order to put them there. We wanna make sure that we're picking metrics that are going to tell the story that we want to tell, right? And not only tell the story that we wanna tell, but are going to be actionable, right? If we send a TRIR out to the frontline employees, well, what can they really do with that? There's too much that's going into that metric, right? So we need to break that down and focus maybe a little bit more on the inputs that are going into that rate, right? And we want those inputs to be actionable so we can make adjustments. Okay, uh, the right data for the right people cannot be overstated, right? So um, you need to know the audience, right? So you might have an executive management team, you might have some frontline supervisors, and you might have some frontline employees, right? All of them have different whys, different granularity, and different ability to impact change, right? So whereas an executive management uh, team might be more interested in trends over time at a higher level, frontline supervisors might be more interested in a more constrained timeline, right? and more detailed information. And frontline employees might wanna know exactly what's going on the previous day with the most detailed information they can give, right? So 
this is the idea of the data use plan. So we work with customers a lot to put these data use plans together where we say, okay, what information do we need? When do we need it? Who does it need to go to? And in what format, right? And, and, and putting together these data use plans can be very useful in getting the right data to the right people at the right time. Okay, I know I'm running up on some time here, but uh, so collecting data, better data, better data accuracy, better data quality, better data insights, all lead to us being able to use data as a positive cultural change agent. All right, so let's go back to our wine example, right? On the left, we have the vicious cycle, okay? And this is our $5 bottle, right? So what we're doing is we're requesting information, we're collecting information, we're analyzing, but there's not really any action there, right? Um, and this is kind of the data collection focus without the parameters that we talked about today, right? So we have bad data quality. We're not communicating properly. The collection is kind of all over the place. And what ends up happening is each time you go around this loop, you end up getting less data and you end up getting less quality information, right? Because people don't see how their data collection is being communicated into corrective actions, right? So there's mistrust. There's deterioration of the engagement. There's siloed information, and it's hard to quantify uh, results. All right. Now let's move over to the $200 bottle of wine. Right. This is the data focus with the parameters that we talked about today. Right. So we're requesting information. We're collecting information. Right. Uh, we're analyzing information. We're communicating, and we're improving. Right. And we're taking data quality into uh, the calculation. We're taking data accuracy into the calculation. We're training our employees how to collect accurate data, right? Uh, we're training and instituting processes and a mission and vision so people understand why collecting data is important and how it will help them, right? And that increases engagement, right? It makes us drive decisions with data, right? People know that their input matters and there's tangible results, right? They see how their inputs move to outputs, move to corrective actions, right? Move to moving the, the program forward and making a safer workplace. All right, so to summarize, right? Data can be an influential culture change agent, but we cannot just collect information and expect things to happen, right? So we need to understand what data is, we need to, put parameters around collection to collect better data. We need to collect, uh, have more accurate data by training our uh, collectors, setting up our system for success. We need to have better data quality, right? By looking for field dilution problems, for looking for nondescript problems. And we need to communicate our data more effectively and make the data available to the right people at the right time. All of these things are going to help us get better information, get better engagement from the field, achieve stronger decision-making processes, help us communicate more effectively and implement better actions, right? And ultimately, it's going to bring the perceived work from management closer to the real work of the front line, and that's going to propel our safety culture beyond a possible plateau. All right, uh, I know I went kind of right up to time there, but. Uh, one last thing before we get to questions, I'm actually going to be 
uh, at the Indiana Safety and Health <clears throat> Conference, which begins Monday in Indianapolis. So just by chance, if anyone's going to be at the conference, uh, we'll have a booth there. Uh, I'll be man in the booth. So stop by. I'd love to kind of continue the conversation, get your feedback and, and uh, connect. So thank you all for the time today. I really appreciate it. Well, excellent. Great job, Angelo. Thanks for your insights and your expertise. Uh, yeah, we'll have a little time for an abridged Q&A. But before we do start that, just want to remind everyone of the evaluation survey that we're asking you to complete. The survey should be appearing on your screen now. We do appreciate your input because it'll help us improve our uh, future webcasts. If you don't happen to see the survey on your screen, please turn off your pop-up blocker. Uh, you may also access the survey by clicking the survey button near the lower right part of the screen. Um, seeing some more questions pouring in now, as a reminder, you can click that Q&A button at the bottom of the screen, type your question and click the send button. And again, to repeat from the top, a copy of the presentation slides will be made available uh, after this presentation. With that, Angelo, let's get to a few questions. First, what do you mean by a cultural barrier? Uh, what specific to the company's culture affects data collection? So um, I think uh, what I was talking about with the cultural barrier is, is comes down to kind of the opposite of those three keys that, that we discussed is um, I think a lot of times uh, when we go to, you know, ask individuals to collect data, I think one of the biggest things is we don't uh, help people understand why we're doing this and that it's not a fault finding exercise. It's a fact finding exercise. Right. I think that's the biggest if you could sum it up into one uh, sentence, I think that's the biggest thing is uh, when people perceive it as uh, this is a fault finding thing right? There's cultural barriers there because people say, well, you know, this X has happened in the past or Y has happened. And uh, I don't want to collect information around what we're doing out here because, you know, it might uh, impute, you know, fault on me instead of what we're really trying to do is, is uh, engage in a fact finding exercise, right? We want engagement from the field so that we can uh, get the most accurate data possible and we can use that not to address employee behaviors, but to address the conditions that are potentially, you know, promoting these different behaviors or forcing people to interact with the work conditions in a certain way. So I think, I hope that answers the question. Next question asked, how do you gather data from a, a remote workforce? And secondly, what data would you gather when there's not any safety goals or a journey defined for a company? So, I mean, I think to, to answer that, I think the second part is you, you really need to start with defining where you are and where you want to go. But I think, again, going back to the mission and vision and also um, the uh, kind of setting up for success example, right? If, if we don't have a definition of where we are, where we want to go, what our, what our goals are, what our journey is, how we see that all unraveling, not unraveling, but uh, uh, taking place, unraveling bad connotation. Uh, it's hard to say, you know, what data you need to collect because different industries, right, different companies uh, have different challenges. So I think taking, a, taking some time to review a mission and vision of where you are, where you want to go, setting up your system if you have one for success meaning looking at what you're really good at and what you need 
you know, maybe to focus on a little bit more can, can give you a roadmap as to what you need to collect and also who should be involved and when you can collect that information, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's a, that's kind of a starting point, I would say. I know that didn't specifically answer it, but, but I think you got to start with, with defining the goals and the journey. We're winding down and have time for one more question. Um, it, this one asks, what sample percentage is a fair representation of the population in the domain of EHS? And then just ask your thoughts on maybe what sampling is best, whether it's random, stratified, et cetera. Uh, I would have to, I can tell, I'm not sure I totally understand that question. I'll, I'd have to take that offline if, if you, uh, whoever oh, answered sure. that, if, if you want to send me an email, I'd be happy to uh, have a discussion with you offline. Sorry about that. Oh, no problem. No, and, and, and those unanswered questions will be, uh, will be forwarded. Um, well, no, with, with that, and if you're still in able, we can give, give you one more. Sure, yeah. Um, how can individual departments be educated on how they impact company-wide statistics without being dismissed by what they call whataboutism, such as my department is not as bad as XYZ departments? Yeah, that's a good question. I think uh, part of that is, you know, you, you obviously, there, there is some value in creating, you know, uh, in comparing department to department, right? But I think um, everything is relative, right? So there is value at least to start out to baseline to say, hey, you know, this is where the, you know, warehouse team is, this is where the packaging, you know, team is. But and compare those. But moving forward from that, I think a way to get around the whataboutism is to say, okay, now we're in a competition, you know, for again, for lack of a better term, with ourselves, right? So where were we last year? Where were we last month? What kind of information were we collecting? What actions were we taking? Right? What were the metrics that we were tracking? And is that working for us? Are we doing better? Or are we doing worse? So I think um, there is value, at least to start off with, with, with kind of comp uh, comparing the departments to one another. But I think a way to get around the whataboutism is to kind of then turn it into an internal focus where we're saying, let's, let's compare against ourselves from the start point to now and where we think we can go with our own department. Well, thank you. Uh, unfortunately, we have run out of time today. Sorry we didn't get to everyone's questions, but again, all of today's unanswered questions will be forwarded along to Angelo. Uh, once again, we hope that you take the time to fill out the evaluation survey on your screen or in the forthcoming email and give us your feedback. Uh, with that, we end today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. We'd like to thank Angelo Sinfranco, everyone at Intellects, and all of you who listened in. Thanks and have a great day.